Good morning. It's a Thursday, and this is Kale and Company Live on WKXL. 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us. In studio today, Dan Weed, Weed Family Automotive at 124 Store Street in Concord. You can call them right now, even as we speak, to make an appointment, 603-225-7988, weedfamilyautomotive.com. You can find them on Facebook as well. And where else, Dan? Anywhere? All, we're all over the all, place. All over the we're, place. We're on, on the street, on the air. Hard to miss them. Hard to miss them. 124 Store Street in Concord, and we're getting close to the end of the month. It is. I'm sure there are some people who have not had their inspections yet, uh, but if you uh, need one, I'm, I'm sure you probably have uh, have a lot of dates booked up, but if uh, you want to make an appointment, uh, give uh, Weed Family Automotive a call, 603-225-7988, and uh, Bobby and or Charlie will be standing by. They're there waiting for your phone call. We can help out. We've got openings for next week. We can get you in and that last-minute inspection that we've procrastinated ever so long for. There you go, because you get a little a little leeway. Yeah. What is it, a 10-day leeway ten day on the period, other side? Right. So, But we get three months in advance, so that we that, can do it. That's too. true, and that's why, you know what? I I am going to have my – I'm going to do this this time around. <laughs> I am bringing my uh, car into Weed Family Automotive in November because – my birthday is in February, right. so that works, right? It does. We can get you Okay, in. so you can get inspected uh, three months in advance. Right, so we can free up some extra time on your schedule. That's true. So you can go see that one-of-a-kind production that Cat is doing. That's right, That and that starts tomorrow night. We have to remind the people, we were talking before the show about uh, Jekyll and Hyde, the uh, Pittsfield players at the Scenic Theater in Pittsfield. Now, I have to admit, I have never seen the scenic theater. Oh. So, uh, but tomorrow night, uh, I'm going to be able to put it on my list because uh, I'm going to opening night. Great to see uh, to see Cat in uh, starring in uh, Jekyll and Hyde, and it's a great cast. I've met Cat and two other cast members. I've met Jekyll and Hyde himself. Oh, uh, so uh, you know, I'm I, I can't wait. It's going to be <laughs> going to be a great show. So Dan is here and. Uh, Dan, you, you know, before the show, we were chatting briefly. Hurricane Ian, of course, battered uh, quite a bit of Florida uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what kind of an impact did it have, uh, in particular, uh, on uh, EVs, so, electric vehicles? Yeah, so I came, uh, this headline kind of grabbed my attention. So it says, Hurricane Ian damage leads to spontaneous combustion of EVs in Florida. Um, all right, so time out here. Here we have the you know sensational... I'll call it, well, not so much fake news, but almost. But spontaneous combustion in an EV uh, because of flooding. So let's back up and think about this for a minute. You have a, an electric vehicle with a huge battery pack in it, lots of voltage, lots of power, and you dump it in water. Yeah, that's not a good combination. <laughs> no, no, no. So I'm not so sure that spontaneous combustion is quite the uh, appropriate term for it, but it certainly grabs a headline and grabs your attention. Uh, but this is a uh, d- one of the downsides, if you will, to, well, truly any vehicle with a larger battery, but mm-hmm. in particularly the EVs with a massive battery, massive amounts of power and, you know, l- electronic components. And 
you dunk it in water and or salt water in this particular case from the hurricane, uh, particularly salt water is even more conductive than regular water because of the salt content. Yeah. And now you're shorting this battery out in the entire electrical system. Uh, and in most cases that we've uh, found out from this article, catches on fire. Uh, now we all know that these lithium batteries, uh, you can't just put these fires out with, well, guess what, regular water. It doesn't work so well. You can flood it until the fire goes out, but chances are it's going to come back to life again, so to speak, and, and not the life that you want it to. Right. Uh, so there's a whole protocol, uh, particularly for our first responders involved, when it comes to dealing with you know even the hybrid cars and, and the EVs because of the huge amount of power in the battery and voltage in particular in the battery. And we're certainly concerned about uh, shorting out electrical systems and whatnot. Mm. And so one of the things that they struggle with is a disconnecting the power. So in most all of these cars, there is what we call a safety plug involved. So that in the case of a first responder coming in, one of the first things that they're going to do is cut the power to that vehicle. Uh, now, a lot of the manufacturers have taken uh, steps to help the first responders. And once you open hood, trunk, compartment, whatever it happens to be, there is typically a cable that says cut here mm -hmm. in case of emergency. So the first responders know exactly what they have to do to kill that power because in the case of an accident, you might not be able to get to or access that safety plug to do it manually, so to speak. So cut the wires and, and off you go. But you're still dealing with that battery pack and what to do with that battery pack right. in the event that it does catch fire. But this particular case in Florida where the cars are being flooded out, uh, it certainly brings to light uh, one of the difficulties or that we have with the safety of these vehicles uh, dealing with accidents, fire, first responders, and stuff like that. Uh, is it truly any different than a gasoline car that, you know, a gas tank catches on fire and explodes? Probably very similar. So your battery is your gas tank. It shorts out, catches fire, and we have to deal with that. And our gasoline or diesel tank shorts out, catches fire, and we have to deal with it that way as well. Obviously, with gas and diesel, we have uh, many, many years of experience in dealing with stuff like that. Uh, the fire departments have uh, foam on board most of their trucks so they can put out some of these fires with mm -hmm. foam. But in the case of a, an EV battery, uh, it doesn't work as well. Huh. So what what would take just take us through us through this a little bit. Sure. And uh, so what would happen uh, if and I'm sure this did happen because there's the article there spontaneous uh, combustion with the EVs. Uh, so so what would happen uh, to the vehicle if it was, you know, unattended and, and there were no first responders there to, to take care of the situation. Well, and again, that's what this article alludes yeah. to is, you know, a lot of these places were flooded out so bad that yeah. you couldn't get a fire truck or right. fire apparatus. Right. Yeah. So unfortunately, the, the fire goes you know, uncontained, if you will, or, or uncontrolled, and it runs a possibility of burning the house down, burning a structure down mm. if that car is parked in the garage or whatnot. Yeah. So yeah, you not only do you lose uh, the, the car, but you lose the house as well. Wow. And uh, it would not be the same impact on a uh, gasoline-powered vehicle. Not not as likely, correct. No, not right. as likely. Right. And, and, you know, don't get me wrong. I, I think the EVs are great. I think it's a great technology. Uh, I think the power and performance that you get out of most of these EVs is, is pretty amazing, yeah. uh, particularly the higher end. And we actually had the, uh, I guess, the 
privilege, I'll call it, uh, to do an inspection on the very first Lucid Air EV in the state uh, a couple weeks ago. So what does that mean? Uh, <laughs> so Lucid is a, an EV manufacturer. Oh, okay. And Air, oh. Air is one of their models. And so oh, this okay. was a Lucid oh, okay. Air touring okay. model. Okay. And so we were able to do a, its very first state inspection on it. Wow. Yeah. So so how were you at Weed Family Automotive granted that privilege? Uh, was it just happenstance or no, did it's they actually pick a... you out specifically? <laughs> yeah, we were targeted, yes. <laughs> because if you're advertising here on WKXL, <laughs> right. they heard about Weed Family Automotive and Lucid Air came in. Right. It is actually one of our uh, previous customers ah. who works down the street. And he said, oh, just, it was convenient for him to come in because we were literally blocks away from his office. So, But it, it was neat to be able to see uh, a different brand of EV that we hadn't seen before. Uh, first one in the state that we're aware of. Really? Yeah. And a uh, very nice car, very well appointed. Uh, the fit and finish was great. Uh, it was pretty interesting. The, the windshield is actually a single glass panel from the base of the windshield all the way up to the uh, passenger compartment in the, in the rear seat area. So it's one giant glass roof. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's something, huh? Yep. Wow, I'd like to see that. But uh, so there you go, Lucid Air. And so what, uh, other than uh, that, that, you know, roof design and, and what have you with the, the glass roof and what have you, uh, how does it differ from other uh, EVs? So one of the selling points for this particular gentleman was the range that this the Lucid oh, Air okay. has. Yeah. So he was after that, the ultimate range, so to speak, and they, they boast uh, – their range is in the 500 mile segment. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So, and most of not, them are what, like 250 something? Yeah, like 250 that, to 300. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, they're two thirds again is what most of the other competitors are after. Uh, this one, this particular one, we looked it up. We went to the Lucid website to see. Yeah. Uh, it comes with a pretty hefty price tag for the range. Yeah, uh, I, I'll bet it does. It, it's right up there with your Maserati and your Ferrari. So yeah, yeah. Well, I'll bear that in mind <laughs> when I go to buy my Lucid Air EV. <laughs> but, but it was neat to see, and like I said, the, I think the technology is great. I think the you know we, we have to get past, if you will, that electric car and that I call it the golf cart image or golf cart mentality, right? Uh, right. Because it, it's truly not that at all. Uh, and some of the, the features that they can build into the cars nowadays, pretty amazing. Uh, some of the technology is great. You know, as you well know, some of the technology I don't believe in. You know, we still have to do our basic function and drive the car. And that is it. That, that is the most important thing. That's the bottom line, folks. And uh, to keep your car running right, just take it to Weed Family Automotive at 124 Store Street in Concord. Dan and all the guys, and uh, I don't know if you have any gals there. I know your wife is active in the business. Yes. But, uh, so check them out if you haven't already. Weed Family Automotive, 124 Storage Street in Concord. You can uh, give them a call, make an appointment, 603-225-7988. And if you have a question for Dan about anything we've talked about today or just uh, something uh, that troubles you about your vehicle, hey, you can give us a call here at 603 603- 224-1450. We'll take the call on the air. 603-224-1450. We'll be back. Kale and Company continues after these words on WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live on this Thursday. Dan Weed is with us from Weed Family Automotive in Concord, 124 Store Street. 
just off uh, Main Street in downtown Concord, and uh, lots of uh, lots of uh, activity going on on Store Street in terms of uh, building. There's all a lot of construction of going on. It's it's pretty exciting. Yeah, we're getting two two or three new stores and or restaurants. We get a one ten grill coming in. I forget whether it's a Starbucks or Roma Joe's coming in. And, yeah, uh, there's a third building in the middle of all this that. Really? I don't know if we're getting three surprises or just ah. two. So. <laughs> I'd like a Chick-fil-A, you know. If they could they, they could build one of those, if they're listening, you build a Chick-fil-A, that would be nice. Sure. All, all these chains, though, I mean, Chick-fil-A has been around a long time. And I know uh, they do have a, a few locations in New Hampshire, but uh, not very many. They're no. mostly in the southern part of the state. In fact, I think Nashua has two well. Chick-fil-A's. And then the rest of us are left with virtually nothing in terms of Chick-fil-A. Yeah, I don't but make... I I do know where there's going to be a new Popeyes. Ah, yes. Interesting. I do. I won't mention it because I don't want anybody else to go there. <laughs> but um, but it's within walking distance for me. Ah, so even better. Uh, yeah, go. yeah. So uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, EVs and uh, uh, in our first segment, and uh, Tesla is reportedly. Uh, working on a new vehicle a platform that could cut their costs by about 50%. Wow. That's, that's, that's what amazing. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. So do you think over the years, Dan, we'll, we'll see, I mean, I mean, not next year or the year after, but, you know, say 10, 15 years from now, we'll see the price of them coming down a little bit? Uh, I mean, it's like color TVs. I mean, when they first came <laughs> out, really, I mean, they were more expensive then. Right. Than they are now, or, or uh, look, look at the, uh, the flat screen, the LED TVs or OLEDs, and you know, yeah, they used to be thousands of dollars for these massive TVs, and now you can buy one for three hundred bucks or whatever. Right. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think that you know, and it really depends on a lot of things because you know, like anything else, a lot of the components that these vehicles are made of are commodities, and it depends on what the market is doing. Uh, the challenge, however, is that. You know, we're talking about some raw materials, and we've had now uh, a huge increase in demand on these raw materials, particularly for the batteries and whatnot. So all of a sudden, you've got this one particular raw material that all these years has just been kind of plugging along, plugging along, plugging along, and now you increase the demand by 100, 200, 300%. What does that do to the value of it? Well, any type of supply and demand market, guess what? It's going to increase the price on those raw materials. Uh, so I think it's going to depend on, you know, if they can find uh, new supplies for these raw materials and or some sort of recycling process that they can get right. these materials back out. It's going to depend on, you know, our entire global co- uh, economy right now has kind of been turned upside down the last few years. Yeah. Uh, to say the least. And so you have so many mitigating factors coming into this that uh, I think that as the supply chain ramps up and there's more and more available and they become more commonplace, then, yeah, I think you'll start to see the prices go down. Uh, Of course, you know, we look at some of the EVs out there right now and they're anywhere from 25 to 30,000 on the low end to several hundred thousand dollars on the high end, you know, depending on Right. what we're going after. Uh, so it, the more mainstream they become, the more everyday they become, I think you'll start to see the prices go down. Uh, and, of course, it also is going to depend on our government subsidies as well. You know, obviously there's a pretty substantial tax credit, I believe, that's still out there for 
the end purchaser. But I've read bits and pieces in industry news that says, well, the the vehicle manufacturers are getting heavily subsidized as well. So uh, there's all sorts of incentives for them to produce these. Uh, and my question always becomes, you know, would this technology have come forward in a regular market without our government interference, I'll call it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you yep. know, uh, it, is, is this technology sustainable? Is it a good business model for the car manufacturers at this point? Or is this something that has been, I guess, forced on them uh, through policy changes? Oh, wasn't there uh, an edict that uh, all vehicles, uh, or at least a large percentage of them, be electric by like 2035 or uh, something like the, that? California, you know, yeah, they're, yeah. they've already banned uh, gasoline-powered outdoor power equipment sales in the next couple of years. It's all got to be electric. Wow. And I believe they're pushing the same for, you know, new car sales is going to be yeah. all electric. I kind of think personally it's a little unrealistic yeah. uh, because not everybody uh, is driving habits and driving needs fits that model of an electric vehicle right now. Right, exactly. Uh, my, my daughter has uh, an electric vehicle, but you know, she just uses it basically to go back and forth to work, and they have another gasoline-powered vehicle. Mm-hmm. I mean, when they take, uh, you know, longer excursions because, uh, you know, obviously uh, the infrastructure that, that we need is not necessarily in place at the moment. Right. Uh, or very convenient in, in, in a lot of cases, uh, you know, and I guess that that's going to have to improve to make, uh, you know, you know, even, you know, 30 to 40 percent of our vehicles, EVs, the, the infrastructure has really got to improve over the years. Well, I think this is true of what I'll describe as any alternative fuel vehicle. And I don't yeah. care whether, you know, we talk about gas and diesel all the time. That infrastructure is in place. We've had it for centuries now at this point all right yeah but now you start talking about you know propane or natural gas powered vehicles electric vehicles hydrogen whatever that alternative fuel might be and your biggest challenge is the refueling network sure you know and until that infrastructure is in place then it's hard to get it widely accepted now tesla has done a phenomenal job about fixing that problem you know they've gone out and even before they started putting cars on the street, guess what? They had Tesla charging stations yep. out there that were being built, that were being uh, planned on and whatnot. So Tesla, you know, saw the problem for what it was. You know, how do we get these people to accept the refueling or, in this case, recharging of the vehicles? They went out and built an entire recharging network. They're everywhere now. Yeah. Uh, so that it really becomes a non-issue for those particular owners. And that's just Tesla owners. Correct. They're they're not interchangeable. No, and that's been one of the, I guess, huge debates or discussions in the EV world is that it seems like every manufacturer has a different charger, different connector, different whatever. And in my mind, it should have been standardized. It should have been universal right at the start. Right. Because, you know, let's say, all right, we get all these charging stations out there just like a gasoline station. Yeah. All right. All of a sudden, we've got this one charger, but you've got adapters for all the different vehicles. Well, what happens when somebody forgets to put that adapter back, you know? Or right. 
you know, yeah. much, much like we see, you know, happens on a regular basis. Somebody drives off away from the gas pump with, oh, guess what? The gas hose still attached to the car. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So how does it work? I mean, since I, I don't own an electric vehicle, how does it work? I, I know, you know, it hooks it in the rest areas. They have the uh, Tesla chargers. Right. And so how does that work when you uh, go to charge your vehicle? Is it like going to the gas pump? Are you charged for it? Uh, Yeah. 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 With the Teslas, I believe there's a certain period of time that you get free charging. And after that, there's a fee for it. Just like if you pull up to a regular EV charger, you know, somebody's producing the electricity. Somebody's bought that charger, put it in place, hooked it up. Right. You know, they've got to recoup that investment somehow. So, yeah, you're still paying to have it recharged. And depending on what type of charger it is, will depend on how long it's going to take you to recharge that vehicle. Uh, So you can get what they call a level one charger. In most cases, that car will be recharged in less than an hour. Uh, Then you get level two, level three chargers, and it may be several hours up to overnight, depending on the, the type of charger that it is. But the individuals who own the uh, the EVs can also charge them themselves, correct? At home, yeah. yes, yeah. yes, yeah. In all cases, yes. You right. know, so yeah. as part of the car purchase, there's a charger that goes along with it. Yeah. Of course, you have to have a professional licensed electrician come in and install it for you. You know, unless your house is already you know wired in the garage for that 240 volt circuit. So you probably know, that, that most aren't, right? Most aren't, right? Yeah. You know, unless you're somebody like me and I've got the welder and compressor in the well, garage and stuff. Yeah, but well, you, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll just add another charging, you know, outlet on that 240 circuit. So, but you know, that that is a consideration, though. You know, for some of the folks that are buying the EVs, is all right. What's it going to take to install this charger in my home right. in my garage uh, and be able to charge the car? And you know. What is it going to take an electrician to add that circuit into my existing panel, and can the panel handle that capacity? Because that could be pretty costly in itself. It could. Absolutely. Dan Weed with us. Weed Family Automotive, located at 124 Store Street in Concord, 603-225-7988. If you'd like to make an appointment, you can uh, check them out at weedfamilyautomotive.com. Don't forget uh, Weed TV, Right. one of the <laughs> longest-running series there is. In all of the uh, the broadcast uh, world, right? Uh, you can sit around and uh, get some great advice about uh, about your vehicle. Or you can give us a call right now, and Dan will answer your questions if you have any on EVs or anything else that might be concerning you about uh, your vehicle at uh, 603-224-1450. 603-224-1450 here at WKXLNHtalkradio.com. Kale and Company Live. We will be right back. Kale and Company live for this Thursday. Dan Weed in studio from Weed Family Automotive in Concord, 124 Store Street, right off Main Street. And right next to uh, where all that construction is taking place. And uh, do they you have any projections as to when the, any of the a new, uh, uh, the 101 grill, or the 110 grill, I should say, the 110 grill, uh, or uh, whatever the coffee shop is, is going to open? Any projections on that? Judging by the pace of construction and everything I see going on down there, yeah. I would expect to see it open by the end of the year. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That soon, yep. because the end of the year is approaching. It is rather it's, fast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even as we speak, yeah. You know, some some of us are still driving uh, gas-powered vehicles. Right. Yeah. I would say probably the vast majority of us, right? Or, I mean, I know that the percentages are creeping up for uh, hybrid cars or uh, EVs, uh, but... 
are uh, automotive makers doing anything about trying to you know help us with in terms of making things uh, more economical or how we can get more out of our uh, gallon of gas? Well, they've they've uh, done. I'm not going to say as much as they possibly can, improve but improve fuel economy <laughs> leaps and bounds over what we used to have. I mean, yeah. I happen to drive in this morning to the the studio here a 1984 Chevy pickup. 84. <laughs> 84. Wow. Yeah. What? Yeah. Which really, you know, all right. So it's an 84. It doesn't seem like it's that old, but that's 38 years. Yeah, I know. 38 years. And, and I used and, to do warranty work on these things and going <laughs> strong, huh? <laughs> Yeah, so I, I drove that in today, and so you compare that to uh, some of the newer cars that's out there, and yeah, I mean, the technology just in the engine compartment alone is night and day difference from what it was 30 years ago, you know. Uh, we've gone from electronic ignition, uh, you know, points, distributors, stuff like that, and particularly carburetors to not only fuel injection, but now we've gone to direct fuel injection. We've gone to variable cam timing, uh, all sorts of other components built into the engine now. Uh, we've reduced, you know, if you open the hood on the 84, it's, as I would describe, unmolested. So all the emission stuff is still there. All the vacuum hoses are stuff is still there. And you open the hood on a new car that's fuel injected. Uh, and it's clean. It's very easy to see the components in most cases. And you don't have this myriad of vacuum hoses and vacuum switches and things to do different things. It's all built into the technology in the engine, uh, which unfortunately brings its own challenges too because sometimes this technology uh, is so, I'm not going to say delicate, but sensitive that it makes it challenging for us to diagnose and fix a lot of these electrical problems or sensor issues that we see uh, that is sometimes caused by something as simple as a bad connection, corrosion, or whatnot. So, yeah. So they, they are doing something about they it. Are. They, yeah. they are. They yeah. are. Okay. Rest yeah. assured. Is, any, is anybody out there buying just gasoline-powered vehicles anymore? Sure. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's 90% of what's out there right yeah. now. You yeah. Know, the, yeah. You know, the... the the diesel car market never really took off. Like right. they, they tried, they tried again and didn't do very well with it. Uh, I think again, the diesel technology has come a long ways. You know, we talk about fuel mileage. Uh, I look at the early days of the Dodge pickup and the Cummins diesel. You know, because that was the forerunner in the light truck diesel market yeah. to what we have today for the fuel injection systems and, and the engines. And you know, it used to be you'd open the hood of some of these older trucks and you know you could barely have a conversation over the sound of the engine now you open the hood they're quiet they're clean uh and they're they're very efficient based on the technology and a lot of it has to do with that fuel injection technology and what i call direct injection so the difference between direct and indirect injection is the indirect injection uh sprays fuel into the intake manifold uh, where the direct injection sprays the fuel directly into the cylinders uh, the challenge to that, however, is the pressures that you have to develop in some of these fuel systems, and particularly in, in the diesels. Right. You're talking tens of thousands of pounds of fuel pressure in these systems. So mm -hmm. they're very, very critical to the operation of the cars, having that high pressure. And the same with the gas engines. You know, we've gone from pressures that were in the 
15 to 20 PSI range, you know, up to 50, 60, to now we're 1,000, 2,000 PSI or more in some of these systems. So uh, there's a margin of safety that we have to be aware of in those systems as well. But the technology that's come along to allow these to happen has been because of the electronics developed, the different sensors developed, and different fuel systems uh, to be able to adapt to these. Because without that direct injection, we never would have attained the fuel mileage power performance that we have now. So, so why didn't diesel take off? I, in the car world, I don't think people were ready to accept it. And particularly in our generation, we saw the massive failure of the diesel market in the early 80s. You know, it was just an experiment that went horribly wrong. I mean, the Europeans had it down. They, you know, yeah. they had a, a, a huge diesel car segment over in Europe, you know, Mercedes, BMW, Volkswagen, brought it over here and it just didn't, you know, take off, you know, but you have that, I guess, image of the diesel car. I equate it to the old city buses, you know, mm-hmm. billowing black smoke out the tailpipe and everything that, like that. And that was the know, perception. Right? That, that yeah. was the perception, you yeah. know, when... The reality is even with a lot of that emissions coming out the tailpipe that we we were visibly able to see, that car was still cleaner than most of the gas cars of its day. What you were seeing was basically the soot coming out the tailpipe from the fuel. So right. you have a rather than a uh, gas emission coming out the tailpipe, you had a particulate emissions. And they've done a lot to clean that up as well. We have now these uh, diesel exhaust filter systems in the cars and light trucks and whatnot. So you see virtually no smoke coming out the tailpipe of the uh, non-enhanced diesel cars mm-hmm. and trucks. You know, you see, you certainly see the guys out there, and we we make a joke about it. You know, the the boys rolling coal in the field or whatever. But you know, you <laughs> see the car, the trucks that have been all hopped up, and they get into the the throttle, and yeah, it's billowing black smoke, but. The reality is that black smoke uh, is money out the tailpipe at that point. So, and, and there used to be a time, though, there used to be a time when diesel was uh, a lot less expensive than regular right. gas. Exactly, because yeah. it takes a lot less to refine diesel than than it does gas. So, you know, in reality, the diesel price should and then, as it was then, it should be now far less than gasoline. Now, granted, we've changed the diesel fuel around. We've taken all the sulfur out of it and whatnot. So, we have very low sulfur diesel fuel now and so that's changed it a little bit but you know our entire economy runs on some form of diesel fuel yeah so the the more you can control the diesel fuel price the less our consumer prices will be because it takes you know transportation to get those goods from place to place and most of it's by truck rail plane yeah you know ship and all any any one of those combination, and that's all diesel. All run on some form of yeah. diesel or crude oil. So yeah. until you get that diesel price down, you know, if you want to see a, a really quick effect on your wallet and your food prices, commodity prices, lower the cost of your transportation, lower the cost of diesel, get it down to where it should be. You know, and it wasn't long ago that the diesel price was getting to be less than gasoline, and now it's it's gone back twofold in the other direction. And, and why? Politics. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you 
everything comes down to politics, and, 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 right? In my opinion, in my yeah. opinion only, yeah, yeah. It, it comes down to policy and politics. Yeah, you know, uh, they they've often joked, uh, and from my perspective, that you know the president doesn't have control over the gas prices, and we joke about it every election. Oh, guess what? You know, gas prices are going down or going up, and and whatnot. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, they do have, if you will, an effect on it based on policy decisions. Sure. And uh, we've seen that uh, since day one of this current administration. <laughs> right. And, you know, and again, you know, who sets the, the gas prices? You know, what oil companies do. But if we have policies being made that go against what the oil companies need, mm-hmm. all right, then they're going to raise the prices accordingly. You know? And then we depend on our enemies for oil, <laughs> right? Right, <laughs> right. You know, so, I mean, we can go completely sideways in this whole discussion, <laughs> you know, but, uh, yeah, in, in the end. But Kat's uh, not going to let us, see? <laughs> She's playing the music. So she doesn't want to go down that road, right? <laughs> Dan Weed is here from uh, Weed Family Automotive. Weed Family Automotive at 124 Store Street in Concord. You can uh, call them right now. Bobby and Charlie standing by 603-225-7988 to make an appointment. And uh, also available at WeedFamilyAutomotive.com on Facebook, on TikTok, on... uh, I don't know if you're on TikTok. Are you doing any dances on TikTok? Uh, You don't want to see that. No, that's true. (laughs) All right, we'll take a break. We'll be back. Dan Weed is with us. If you have any questions, call us right now, 603-224-1450. We'll be right back on WKXL and nhtalkradio.com. Kale and Company live here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 101.9 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming around the world and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And if you would like to hear this program again, and who wouldn't, or if you missed some of the first 45 minutes or so of this show, well, you can hear it again tonight. At 7 o'clock. There you go. Right here on WKXL. Reruns begun tonight at that, 7. That reruns at <laughs> 7 tonight. That's 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 when they begin. And they maybe rerun again. You never know. Uh, but, uh, Dan, I saw a paper over there, a little piece of paper that you have uh, in your research for the program today. <laughs> uh, electric vehicle myths. Yes. What, what are some of the electric vehicle myths that uh, you can share with us? So this is a, a paper that I found through the... United States Environmental Protection Agency. And so everybody talks about, you know, green vehicles, green this, green that, and we, we can get into a whole dis- discussion about green on another day, but <laughs> it goes back to the oil companies, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but some of the, the uh, myths that are at the forefront of everybody's mind, uh, EPA has put together a possibly jaded pamphlet <laughs> about electric vehicle myths. Uh, so myth number one, electric vehicles are worse for the climate than gasoline cars because of power plant emissions. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, electric vehicles typically have a smaller carbon footprint, oh, here we go again, <laughs> than yeah. gasoline cars, even when accounting for electricity used in charging. Hmm. 
Yeah. Let's think about this for a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And and so the EPA, and I'll qualify this, goes on to say, electric vehicles have no tailpipe emissions. Correct. They're 100% spot on there. All right. Generating the electricity used to charge EVs, however, may create carbon pollution. It may. It may. It may. If you use, you know, a uh, propane-fired, you know, electric plant, coal, jet fuel, however they generate electricity based on fossil fuels, Mm -hmm. then they will have emissions coming out of the power plant. So, so what happens, uh, I'll stop you there and say, what happens if the fossil fuels go away like uh, some people would like it to? Hmm. Well, uh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> interesting. So <laughs> this handy-dandy little chart we yeah, have here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, elect- Hold it up to camera three. Yeah, so, camera yeah, three. Here yeah, you go, folks. A good you can shot. see this. Yep. Uh, electricity sources. Natural gas is 38% of your electric source. Coal is 21%. Nuclear is 18%. Now we go on to, if you will, I'll call it green energy. Wind is 9.2%, hydro 6.2%, solar 2.79%, and biomass is 1.3%. So if you eliminate nuclear, coal, <laughs> natural gas, from right. you're, you're left with, uh, let's see, Roughly 15% of your electricity production. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Uh, so, you know, all right, so we're going to take these EVs, and, and let's say there's a mandate out there that you can only charge your EV based on, I'll call it renewable energy. So wind, hydro, solar, and biomass. Yeah. You're going to be in tough shape, folks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, solar, I, I mean... Uh, it, they, you know, we've been hearing about solar, and you know there there is a, it's it you know there is a market for that, yeah. but uh, you can't depend on that to uh, power your vehicles uh, in the dead uh, of winter uh, in New uh, England. Uh, yeah. <laughs> do, do you vaguely remember the blizzard of '78, where it was cloud covered for a week? <laughs> yeah. No. No. Exactly. And uh, yeah, blizzard of '78. And, uh, you know, we had it rough here in New Hampshire, but it was even worse in Massachusetts, mm, right. the blizzard of 78, so, as I recall anyway. It was a while ago. And, and you know, we talk about, okay, so electric production. So yeah. one of the interesting things, and I've seen this time and time again, all right, so wind power. We deal with winter weather up here, you know, snow, ice, yeah. rain. And one of the things that I've seen uh, on a couple of different articles, and not only here in uh the northern part of the U.S., but in Canada as well. So one of the things that they cha- are challenged with is with wind production and, and the, the windmills mm. is keeping the, the blades on the windmills free of ice and snow in the wintertime. Yeah, sure. So obviously, yeah. you, you know, just like an airplane propeller, it gets iced up. It becomes yeah. ineffective. The same with the windmill and uh, wind power. In the wintertime, they become basically disabled because of ice conditions. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So uh, at any rate. Uh, so back to our back, myth. Yes, <laughs> but what, what's, what's another myth regarding an electric vehicle? Uh, the greenhouse gas emissions associated with an electric vehicle over its lifetime are typically lower than those from an average gasoline-powered vehicle, even when accounting for the manufacturing. So they go on to say that some studies have shown 
that making a typical electric vehicle can create more carbon pollution than making a gasoline car. This is because the additional energy required to manufacture an EV's battery still over the lifetime of the vehicle, total greenhouse gas emissions associated with manufacturing, charging, and driving an EV are typically, keyword typically, lower than total greenhouse gas emissions associated with a gasoline car. Okay. All right. So, so let's talk about the batteries themselves. Uh, as the market currently stands, uh, the majority of the batteries for EVs are now being made in China, correct? Right. They're China and other countries right now. There is a huge push to bring the man battery manufacturing in yeah. particular here to the U.S., which I'm sorry, but most of our manufacturing should be here I to begin with, I would period. I agree with that. I think, <laughs> I, think, I think most people would agree with that. Most. Yeah. You know, I, I certainly understand uh, the need for a global economy yeah. uh, and reliance on certain other parts of the world is great, but when you've become so reliant on other parts of the world that you can't produce the stuff here in your own home turf, right. that becomes a problem. So down the line, it, it, when these uh, manufacturers of uh, EVs have uh, battery plants mm -hmm. in this country, could that perhaps lead to the reduction in cost of uh, the EVs themselves? Oh, no doubt. You know, yeah. when, when you bring your production costs into your own backyard— you're able to control those costs other than raw materials and have a better handle on the manufacturing and the whole process, then, yeah, you can effectively reduce your cost substantially. I mean, look at what you had alluded to earlier with Tesla. You know, they're looking to reduce their manufacturing costs of the battery in particular by almost 50%. Uh, now, of course, we've seen the biggest thing is a battery technology, and we wouldn't certainly be talking about EVs today if we were still going to be working off a old-school lead-acid battery. You know, we're talking about nickel-metal hydride batteries. We're talking about lithium-ion batteries. And there are new battery technologies coming out. They haven't been uh, tested or, or vetted just yet. And depending on what they come out with battery technology— may even substantially reduce the price even more. There you go. So there is hope. There is. Down the line. And, and yep. again, I think this I think that the EV technology is really cool. It's you know really neat. Buy it for what it is. Buy it for the fact that it works for you in your daily driving routine, that it fits within your budget, that it does everything that you wanted it to do that your gas car would do and still be able to, you know, fit that that need so to speak you know? is the infrastructure yet getting to a point that you could feel comfortable taking a long distance drive in an ev like from let's say here to florida well so it depends on where in the country you want to go yeah. you know, for, yes from <laughs> yeah. here to florida yep. i would tell you hands down no problem okay you want to go from here to the dakotas or wyoming or something like that then, then it's a different story okay but here to Florida is okay. Yeah, you know, uh, wh wherever your your population density is there, mm. the entire East Coast, yeah. uh, I think there's plenty of charging opportunities. When you get out into the less densely populated areas of our country, then it's a different story. 
Would that be true for all makes of EVs? Uh, or, I mean, Tesla probably would have the best infrastructure, I would right? say that Tesla's probably going to have your, your best opportunity to make that happen, to do a cross-country trek, so to speak. Right. Uh, the others are, I'm going to say, hit or miss. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, again, there are some drawbacks. I mean, the technology is great. Yep. But, again, the infrastructure has to be there. But uh, we know that the Weed Family Automotive has great infrastructure. There's no doubt about that. They've had it for many years now. And, uh, and you know, now we're in, you know, uh, late October, almost early November at this point. Snow seem, tires are going on. Yeah, it doesn't seem possible. It doesn't. That, that 60-degree weather these yeah, days. but That uh, late into the season. But, yeah, we've yeah. already started our, our snow tire season has begun. Yeah. Uh, as we've known in the past, you know, that Halloween snowstorm, what, 11 years ago now, I believe it was? It wasn't 11 years I ago. So, I do like remember that. it well. Yeah. It was a Sunday morning. I woke <laughs> up to snow that uh, I, I, I don't think they, they ever forecast that, that no, particular no, storm, no. that Halloween nightmare. Where, where's Don uh, Kent when you need him? Uh, 11 years Kent. ago, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, uh, do, do, uh, what's the, the, what would you say roughly, and you would know better than, than most people, do most people uh, use all-season tires or, or snow or snow tires these days? It depends on whether they're required to travel an awful lot. So yeah. we see people that are required to be out switch over to the snow tires. Yeah. Those that have the opportunity to make that choice will typically stick with an all-season tire. Dan Weed, as always, great information here from uh, Weed Family Automotive, weedfamilyautomotive.com. 124 Store Street in Concord. You can give them a call right now to make an appointment for your vehicle. Maybe get your snow tires on at uh, 603-225-7988. Get an inspection, too, because it's getting uh, late in the month. And if you have even a February birthday, you can get inspected in November, and you'll be good. You'll be good. Dan, thanks as always. Take care.